Welcome to the WealthStream Podcast. The team at Hightower Great Lakes share their insights and passions for empowering their clients to live their best life. In this energetic podcast, we will take you on a journey to help you navigate your financial future, overcome life's challenges to reach your financial goals, and find the financial clarity you've been searching for. Let's explore the downstream impact of your wealth and what it means to you, your family, and your community to live greater. Hello and welcome to the Wealth Stream with Tim Scannell from Hightower Great Lakes. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Eric. How about yourself today? I am. I'm excited, man. I, I you know, I've said this before on the podcast, but I am excited. You've got a return guest, and your return guest is specifically here for the passion series that you're doing. Yeah, I'm trying to put together a passion series, which is a series of podcasts talking about people who have exited their business, exited their primary career, and followed their passion successfully because. I just read about and work with a number of people who struggle with that. So I'm just trying to provide great examples. And I think Stuart McMillan here today is going to be an awesome example. So I agree. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited. This is my favorite return guest so far. <laughs> exactly. Am I the only return guest? I'm not so going to say that out loud, but that's a technicality, you're my favorite right now. Yes. Yeah, so far. <laughs> All right. No, so Eric, what are you guys talking about today then? Well, as you know, I normally cover wealth transfer, protection, charitable giving, tax planning, technical stuff. But today I'm not covering any of that. So today I'm really introducing the world to somebody I think is amazing and who's successfully exited and is truly following his passion. So I'm going to just talk to Stuart McMillan today. All right. Well, before Chief you start McMillan. that. Chief. Just, that's right. Chief. Chief. All right. Before you talk to Chief, I want to make sure that the audience knows this is actually going to be a two-part podcast because you guys have so much to talk about. So don't just think that this is a one-and-done deal. Stuart's going to be here for a couple podcasts. So, Tim, I'm excited. I'm going to sit back and listen just like the audience is. All right. And for the audience, just to let you know, episode 41 and 42, which was in July of 2020 in the start of COVID, um, there was a two-part podcast I did with Stuart where we talked. He was the he talked about the entrepreneurial. But today I'm fast-forwarding to uh, many years post-exit, and I'll just start here and say, you know, Stuart, maybe give the audience a little history about what Task Force Tips was. Well, Task Force Tips started out as a family business in the basement of our home. And my father and I were in it. I was the very first employee. He violated all the child labor laws <laughs> and um, worked my way through college while I was the first employee. And then when I graduated college, we went to work together at it. We did our first million dollars in sales in 1982. And that was the same year that my father and I were fighting a fire together. And in the basement of a home, and my dad collapsed, had a heart attack. He's the only person in my 50 years of firefighting that I ever rescued. Uh, unfortunately, the rescue only lasted four days, and he passed away. Hmm. And so uh, at 28 years old, I found myself as CEO of a company and clueless. And in retrospect, that was probably one of the best things could have ever happened to me because I learned really quickly I needed some smart people around me. And so I had a, a board of advisors for many years. And the company grew, and then in 2017, after reading the book Every Family's Business a couple times and talking about it with my family, I realized that having expectations of my son that he'd go into the business were unrealistic. He wanted to do his own path, and I wanted to be the one to support him on that path. So and so prior to that, were you thinking that... He, I was. Okay, he was going to be the, the guy coming in. Yeah, but I... Uh, 
he was a late in life child for me. I call him my late in life miracle. I was 47 when he mm. was born and I didn't really have the time to mentor him uh, like most people do with their kids. And uh, that book really showed me that really a way to help your kids is to provide the, the means to get them to their dreams, not try and impose your own dreams upon them. And actually, a side note to that, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with my son and told him I wanted him to know how he felt about me giving away his inheritance <laughs> in, in my new endeavor. And uh, I said, how do you, f-? I right out asked him, I said, how do you feel about the fact that I'm giving away your inheritance? And uh, he said, dad, you've given me everything I need in life to succeed. I don't need your money. Wow. And I felt like the father had finally succeeded at that point. That was actually as we were having his first drink on his 21st birthday. So it was very poignant for me that it worked out the way it has. In, in, in addition to like, what was, what was Karen, what Catherine thinking about at the time, your wife? I mean, did she have a thoughts about like keeping it for Ian, keeping it for the next generation selling? No, okay. I, I have a very unique bride in that she has just absolutely supported me on anything almost to the point sometimes of, I could use a stronger opinion, but She's just been nothing but supportive my whole career. So she was in the camp of whatever you want to do, I'm there with you. Let's do it. So so when was it roughly that you decided that you you were ready to exit? I mean, when was that when you kind of had that, read the book and thought about it? Uh, he was 12 at the time, so it'd be okay. nine years ago. Okay. And when you had the idea... What kind of conversations or thought did you have with your senior management? Because I know just knowing you, your your management team has been one of the, your and your board has been one of your greatest assets that you've built up. Absolutely. And in fact, I just told someone yesterday that um, the happiest day I think I can remember in business was the day that we actually did consummate the sale and I handed out the checks to my management team and they all became millionaires overnight. I've always had my greatest joy in being with a team and working with a team. And that's kind of in the transition I'm in right now where I'm finding most of my joy is we have a new team working in a nonprofit environment. It's different, but mm-hmm. it's still a team and we're having fun together. So you tell the team, you tell the board, and what happens then? Like How, how long did that process take? Well... When I finally got with the company that bought us, I told them from the very beginning that I was the runaway bride of business <laughs> right. because I had attempts at ESOP. I had attempts at uh, minority share partnership, and each of them crumbled pretty close to the altar. And so I'm not sure, really, they took me serious that I was going to ever be able to actually get it done. And when it finally did happen, it was very serendipitous in how I found the company that we did. You obviously built up skill sets, had skill sets as you were growing the business. So now you've decided, you know, it's probably best that you exit. What kind of skill sets did you need to change and adjust, you know, as you were talking to these? Did you become a PE expert? And, you know, did you, how did you do it, I guess? Well, I think it really goes back, the most important turning point when the whole thing was back in 2004. We were trying to sell the company then, and that was for a different purpose. My brother and I had become estranged. And he had worked in the company and I had uh, had him leave the company. And I really wanted to find a way to uh, cash out so that I was not holding that money over his head. I felt like I was holding him back by not having him in the company and having control of it. So I explored selling to a major uh, strategic partner at the time. And the night before 
uh, the day before we were supposed to close, I had a bit of divine intervention occur and uh, decided not to go through with the deal. That's a whole other story in itself. But decided not to go through with the deal, and I went to my management team, who had all been prepping for this and all knew that they had big checks coming out of it, and I thought they were going to be angry with me for pulling the plug. And the very first person to speak after I told them that I was not going to sell the company was my vice president of marketing who said, does this mean you're going back to being the way you were? <laughs> and it's like, well, what would that be? <laughs> right. And he quickly told me that I was a micromanaging son of a bitch. Mm. And we hope that you don't go back to being that way because for the last few months we've been able to run our own departments and we're having fun and we think we're doing a good job. And it was a real slap in the face and uh, in terms of having a more, I wouldn't say a slap in the face. It was like a cold bucket of water because I realized instantly he was absolutely correct. And so there was a major change for me at that point of letting go and not being afraid of failing and instead being uh, excited about being successful and letting everybody do their job and really strategic planning together and working towards a goal. And uh, we quadrupled the company between 2004 and 2016 not only did we quadruple it, life was just more fun. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was being pulled all the time, had to be there all the time, had to worry all the time because I had people by my side that were cut into the deal. And it, it just was a night and day experience for me that I don't think I would have come to that conclusion had we not come so close to selling and then canceling. Right. And then how about, I know that your board has been an important part of your whole growth, your whole business. Um, how, how were they in terms of advisor support related to your decision, your process of selling? That was a critical part of the whole thing because they were the ones that exposed all the blind spots for me. Um, basically showed me what could go wrong, what could go right, how to make sure more right went, happened than wrong. Um, exposed me to uh, valuation firms and how the valuation should be looked at and just basically guided me through the process. They also had advised me on buying my brother out in 2011 and they were absolutely instrumental in the communication with him to get that done and get him on his way and have him have his freedom financially from from me and so that was a very good outcome from having a board as well I, very few small companies especially private companies have an outside board and it and when I look back at my life and the decisions I made that was probably the most important decision for the company I ever made and how did you come to that? Was it your YPO? Was it just other? Yes, it was a forum experience with my young president's organization. And two gentlemen came in uh, and talked about outside boards. And one of them I was instantly enamored with. He was a World War II fighter pilot, had four shoot downs and a Mustang and just an incredible guy. And he was on like nine boards. And I thought, boy, I'd like to have him. If I could have him, I'd have a board. And on my way home, I called the other gentleman and uh, asked him about helping me get it started. And he said, well, Ray will be your first board member. I said, he's on nine <laughs> boards. He goes, Ray will drop a board to be on yours. And I was, I was stunned. Mm -hmm. And Ray did drop a board so he could join mine and uh, taught me so much about hiring and human resources, things I, I really had gaps in my life. And he filled them. So, And I know, I think you told me a story during the process, later in the process, about the, I think you called it the million-dollar car 
or you know oh gosh <laughs> i think this is a valuable valuable lesson for anyone considering exiting well it, it, coincidentally that million dollar car <laughs> story came out yesterday when i was talking with larry geese who is the uh, ceo of madison which is the company that purchased us because we had a million dollar car experience during my deal as well that almost killed it and what the million dollar story was is a one of the board members told me about a friend of his that he was on his board and when he was in his sale process he constantly was asking for more for more every time they came back to the table he was asking for something else and uh just before closing, they all were having their documents out. The briefcases were open, and they were getting ready for closing. And he added in that he wanted his car, his company car. And um, the what he didn't know was the people buying his company had agreed before walking in that if he asked for one more thing, they were going to close <laughs> their briefcases and walk out. And they did. And he subsequently sold the company a couple of years later, but it was for a million dollars less. So yes, he had to pay a million dollars for that car. Yeah, that's, that's. I think it's a really valuable lesson. I remember you telling me at the time, and um, I've seen it happen a couple other times. So it's very, very important. Uh, and then it happened on my company the day before closing. Uh, we had a dispute over a two hundred thousand dollar payable, mm -hmm. and they pulled the plug. They said the deal was off. I, I thought they were pulling a practical joke on me. But it was real. And as I say, yesterday I just talked to the owner about that, and he told me it was the dumbest thing he ever did to insist on that 200000 being paid. <laughs> and I said, well, it taught me a heck of a lesson that I've used multiple times since, so I don't think it's wasted. Yeah. So. No, I think it's a it's a great lesson. And before I move on, it's just because I'm thinking out loud in my brain that you can't hear, but the audience probably doesn't realize or know that you've done a, a TEDx um, yes. talk. And it, I watched it live. I've seen it on video but um, it, it, it really talks about your dad to a great extent, too. So if you don't mind, just share a little bit about how you came to do that and, and why and what you got out of it, I guess. Because I think it's important that people communicate more about what their history has been, their legacy. Well, um, a guy gave me free tickets to the TED conference <laughs> one time about 10 years ago, and I started going to the TED conference. I had never heard of it before. And so one day someone came to my office and they were trying to do a TED local event and they had heard that I'd been to the TED national event, international event, and they wanted me to be a mentor to them. And so I helped them get the TED conference started locally and they kept asking me to do uh, a speech. And for four years, I successfully found other things that were going on to avoid it. And then the fifth year, they actually scheduled the event with my wife, knowing that I was going to be home and I had no excuse. <laughs> so they forced me into doing it. And I look back on it now, I wish I'd done it about 15 or 20 years earlier because it taught me an incredibly valuable lesson in preparation and in just telling your story. I practiced and practiced and practiced. And the night we had the address rehearsal, it was absolutely terrible. And I wanted to cancel doing it the next day. And the coach I had took me aside and said, it's your story, just tell the story. And I'm like, what do you mean? She says, you're trying to memorize it. You're worried that people are going to hear something different from what you said last time, and your integrity is such that you feel like you're lying to them. Mm -hmm. It's your story. Tell it any way you want. And that was the most freeing thing I'd ever heard in terms of speaking. And I got up the next day, and I just talked about the story. And 
I do think it came out pretty darn good. It was great, yeah. But for me, it's completely changed my ability to speak in public and, and do a lot of things that before I would have been terrified of because it's your story. Yeah. And you tell it the, the best you can, the most accurate you can from your own recollections, and mm-hmm. it's okay. Exactly. And we'll make sure we put a link to, to the talk in the um, podcast links. Okay. <clears throat> um, so let me have you put on your history hat or your memory of now you're signing the deal, you're ready to go. What were you thinking at the time about what you would do post-exit? So, I mean, at the time is probably a lot different than it is today. So if you can if you can think back and because and, I think the audience will want to know that, you know, what you're thinking at the time might necessarily be what actually happens, but if you point in a direction maybe, uh, you'll eventually get there. So if you well, can talk about that. Actually, I kind of knew at that instant because okay. uh, I need to give a little bit of background in that the plan was I would stay chairman of the company and, and work with these people going forward. And I have an attorney that I met through a local contact, and he kept asking me what my plan B was. And I said, I don't need a plan B. What do I need a plan B for? And he said, well, this doesn't always work out the way you think it's going to. So I oh, no, I love these guys. This is going to be fantastic. I'll, they'll carry me out of here with my boots on. And then he'd say, what's your plan B? And I didn't have one. And he put me in touch with a couple gentlemen in Chicago that had sold their companies. And they told me about how they'd found more meaning and more legacy in what they started after their business than before. So quickly I wrote them off as idiots um, (laughs) because nobody could uh, possibly do that. And so John continued to hammer me over this plan B. And finally I said, okay, I don't have one. What's, What's your plan B for me? And he suggested that I start this family foundation. And at the time, I really thought it was going to be a foundation that would do a lot of different philanthropic things. I didn't really necessarily have it focused on fire training, but coincidentally with selling the company, we had been talking about starting a volunteer fire training facility, just a little thing, no big deal. And we were going to put it on property down the street. Well, the company uh, then sold we started the foundation, and the little training facility was like a St. Bernard puppy. It, it turned from a puppy into a full-size dog. And now it's the Mac Foundation, and it's what I do most every day. And it is more legacy for me than the company ever was. And it's truly hard for me still to believe that I could put 45 years into a company and for all those years believe that I was building a legacy and then have it completely flipped upside down on me to where it means nothing. I drive by it every day. Mm -hmm. I'm good with it. But when I pull up in front of the Mac Foundation, that's my home. So we're going to get into the Mac Foundation in part two. So we're just teasing the audience a little bit. Okay. (laughs) But just to get back to John, John Wichter, the attorney, who I work with, and he's amazing. So just to, while you were selling, it seems like John was pretty integral in, in just helping you structure some of these initial entities, like the Family Foundation. Correct. Um, not just for tax planning, estate planning, generational wealth transfer, but also to hopefully fit your charitable goals because you're very, very uh, philanthropic, very much giving back. So I don't know if you want to just briefly talk a little bit about 
how we helped you with the process and structure and thinking about the sale. Did, did the sale structure differ in any way as a result of the work you did with John? I don't think the sale structure did. Okay. Certainly the payout did in that the some of the funds went directly to the foundation immediately and got that funded. I think probably the most important thing John said to me was that he knew a lot of people that had means and they were constantly being asked for money and they were putting it in all kinds of little places where they weren't really moving the needle. Mm -hmm. And he said his biggest advice for his clients has always been find a passion, invest in that passion, and really move the needle on a particular issue. And that is exactly what's happened with Mac. I think I would have been drawn toward giving money everywhere instead of making an impact like we're doing now. So that was very significant advice on his part. So it sounds like at the time, which was great, you did create the plan B. At the same time, you were anticipating plan B might not take not become plan A, let's say. Yeah, because at the time, I really didn't think that was still a plan B. I mean, at okay. the time I sold, I was still chairman. I was going to work every day, and I did for over over two years. And I was transitioning someone else in as president so that I didn't have to be there as often. But unfortunately, as I moved away from being the active president to being chairman, they didn't have the same confidence who I had picked be president, which is unfortunate because he was a very good man and could do the job. And they put their own president in. And that changed the entire equation once they put somebody new in. And so I exited at that point. And so Mac had been started for about three years at that point, And it made it super easy for me to exit because I knew where I was going to go and spend my time. So plan B really came and evolved after I sold the company, but all the pieces had been put in place because of John's advice. And it sounds like you ran kind of a parallel path for three years then. Does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We were working down the street. Uh, you know, I think probably everybody listening to this knows that it's all about people, but I did find a particular individual to be the director of Mac, and he had a 13-year experience building training academies and had a degree in fire training academies from the University of Oklahoma. So it's like, how can you get so lucky as to find somebody like that? And so he was the director and a full-time hire um, actually from before when the company was sold, about a, three months. He is really the one that turned the puppy into the dog. Okay. So we'll we'll stop here with part one and just kind of tease into really, I really want to get into all the details, your vision, you know, why it's needed with Mac. So Eric, I think we'll pause here and then maybe schedule our next part two of this uh, Passion Series podcast. All right. That sounds fantastic. Stuart, thank you so much for coming back. Um, I just, for those that haven't heard the first podcast or the first two podcasts, that was what, I think you said 41 and 42, Tim, something like that? Yes, yes. So go back and listen to those because you're going to hear a lot more of um, kind of the family story. And, and I thought that that was incredible. And you can see where uh, Stuart does such a great job with public speaking because uh, the story he tells is phenomenal. So Stuart, I'm looking forward to the second part of this podcast. Tim, of course, thank you so much for bringing him on. And our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Wall Stream Podcast with Tim Scannell. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hightower Great Lakes, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.
Thank you for listening to the WealthStream podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight that you can apply to your life and share with others. Please don't forget to subscribe below to be notified when new episodes become available. And don't forget to live greater. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Great Lakes. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Great Lakes is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC.